The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. We're joined by the Fox family. We have Mitch and Don here. Good morning, guys. Good to see you all. Good to see you, Scott. Morning, so, Morning, Scott. So I think what we uh, the big news this week that uh, was kind of confusing was the Canadian dollar seems to be going down. And what are the reasons for that? Is that tied to post pandemic? Is it tied to the inflation we're seeing and, and the trouble in Europe? How come we're seeing our dollar dip? Well, I think there's a whole lot of people thinking, you know what, I'm just about to go to Vegas. I'm just about to go to Florida for the winter. I'm just about to do a vacation. And now look at what the dollar is doing. It must be against us personally. And you know what? It, that's just a coincidence. It's the U.S. dollar is strong against all currencies, regardless of what's going on in Canada right now. And Canada has a lot of things good going for it. Like, again, a lots of natural resources, oil particularities up there, uh, you know, nickel, et cetera. And, uh, you know, our economy is doing is fairly robust and uh, our unemployment is strong. So there's lots of good things, but it wouldn't really matter. Um, our interest rates are high, so they're competitive against the U.S. in terms of interest rates. So you think, why is it so low? And it isn't. It's just the U.S. is so high. And that's against everybody. And the probably the biggest one in the last week would have been uh, the English pound, the British pound, rather. Mm. It was. It's basically talking about parity. And, and so when you think about that, the reason was, is the new prime minister there is lowering taxes. And I am thinking, okay, that should be a good thing. That's good for the economy. Well, they're thinking, well, they're going to go into more debt because they're not going to get as much tax revenue. I guess that's one way to spin it. The other way to spin it is, well, if it's lower taxes, maybe they'll attract a lot more people there um, for companies. And also, actually, a lower, uh, a lower currency isn't necessarily a bad thing. It brings maybe more tourism there. It's no cheaper to mm. go visit Europe right now, or at least in, uh, in Britain. So there's give and take with a low currency. How much of this has to do with our natural resources? Some say if we're selling lots of natural resources that we don't feel this as much. Is that, does that have anything to do with this or is that more as to your saying it's a world issue? Yeah, it's, it, you know, funny enough, you'd think normally we always compared our, our dollar with a, the price of oil. And that is actually not the case right now. There's, they've almost, that line has disappeared for whatever reason. And just with, uh, again, uncertainties, the US dollar is considered a very safe currency. So there's a gravitation towards that currency and not ours. So the more demand for the US dollar is really a less demand for all other currencies. And so mm. all other currencies certain, honestly, the US dollar would rather not be this strong because they are now gonna hurt for importing their goods because their goods are gonna cost more. And, and- uh, and our own inflation is going to get hurt. We're going to see this for things such as any kind of you know, fruit from the U.S. or anything we import from the U.S. is now more expensive as a Canadian. We're going to see it at the grocery store for sure. And this leads into what Mitch wants to talk about, and that's people who are trying to buy their first home. Yeah, it's getting more expensive. So, yeah, absolutely, Mitch. Yeah. It's, uh, and the new first-time home buyers are going to feel the brunt. Yeah, so I, the cost of living in Canada is obviously increasing, and it's what a lot of people are talking about this year, uh, especially people with variable rate mortgages. Uh, they're having to 
basically reduce putting money away into investments and having to pay down their mortgage because that extra cash flow from the interest rate change just it's not there anymore. In fact, they may only be paying interest at this point on those mortgages. But the, there's still a lot of people on the sideline, mainly young people who are trying to buy their first ever home. And the cost of living in Ontario, I mean, Canada in general is just growing rapidly, but the cost of homes have gone down about 10 to 20%. It really depends in what area of Ontario or Canada you're really looking. If you're looking at Burlington, Hamilton, Oakville, Waterdown from 21 to 2022, uh, the price has been discouraging for people who are home buyers along with any other investments this year. But uh, if you're looking to get into the market, it could be pretty encouraging because all these houses that were uh, $1.5, $2 million houses, some of them, in, I know some in Toronto are actually down to a million bucks, sometimes under, and there's no bidding wars anymore. So if you're trying to get into the housing market, it's a good time, but it's also a little tougher because the mortgage rates are a lot higher now. So you have to be qualified at 5.25% for a mortgage. And I was looking around just last night and the lowest mortgages are around low 5% for both fixed and variable mortgages. It was just last year that you could get, a lot of them were under 2%. So the cost of your mortgage is going to be significantly higher right now than it was last year. So it's a little different affordability and the, the government is coming out with a product in 2023 that I think is going to be very helpful. It's going to be great for many people trying to get into the housing market and it's called the first home uh, savings account. So it's a combination of an RSP and a TFSA. This new account is going to begin in it, sometime in 2023. We're not exactly sure what date as of yet, right? Hopefully sooner rather than later, because it is a great program. The program will allow anyone who's 18 years and older, who has not purchased a home to open the account. The maximum annual contribution is $8,000 with the maximum lifetime amount of $40. So as I said, it works as a combination of the RSP and the TFSA. All contributions are gonna be tax deductible, similar to as if you were to contribute to your RSP. So you're getting that great tax deduction by putting it into this account. But the, the great part about contributing to this account is the contributions, they don't take any RSP room and you're also gonna be able to take it out tax-free. So you're not gonna take up $8,000 of your RSP room if you put in the maximum amount. So that RSP room that you're building as you're working is not gonna be taken up to try to buy your first home. When you we have all of these different products now, whether it's the first time home buyers, which I used many years ago, how do you decide which of these to use? So when they're both out, it, it could be pretty tricky. It really depends. Uh, I would looking at this new program, I would probably suggest the first home savings account just because you're going to be able to leave that RSP room on the side and uh, build that up when you start earning more. A lot of first time home buyers are they're relatively young, maybe mid twenties, early thirties, somewhere in that region. So typically your income is going to keep going up from there. So you're using, you're still getting the tax deduction for those years, but you can also save your RSP room for your larger earning years and really capitalize on the RSP contributions that you're going to use there. Do you think that you'll eventually see one replace the other for home ownership? So you'll keep one as obviously your savings or your registered retirement savings. And the other one, if you want to do a house, you'll just do it this way instead of that way. 
I, I could for sure see the first home savings account replacing the first time home buyers. Uh, but, but it will take some time because the first time home buyers, you have to pay that back in 15th increments. So it take, you get one grace year. So it takes 16 years to pay this back. So they're, I can't imagine them. They might stop contributing to them, but you're still going to have to pay it back for the people that have been doing it, which has been a lot of people over the last few years. The housing market in Canada, Ontario is... Obviously, it's gone up a ton. It's been what fifty-eight percent. The housing market has gone up in the last two years, Don. Yeah, fifty to fifty-eight percent in that neighborhood. Yeah, so you don't see housing market go up that much unless there's huge demand. So a lot of them are young people trying to get into the market. A lot are flippers and investments. But yeah, that first-time homebuyers plan it probably will be phased out because this new one seems to have more advantages over it than the first time home buyers account. Um, like I mentioned, you don't have to pay it back at all. So the first time, uh, the tax-free account, you're not, not gonna have to pay it back. And the, also you can put more into the this new account. You can put 40,000 into the account and versus any, whatever it grows to, you can use. So if the $40,000 grows to $100,000, you can put $100,000 from that account, take it out totally tax-free, like a tax-free savings account. And put it towards a down payment because these down payments over the last few years once have been pretty large especially when the uh, interest rates were low so when the interest rates do start to go down you'll see the housing price creep up again and the down payments will be much larger the uh, rsp home buyers plan you can only take out thirty five thousand dollars no matter how much it's grown to right so so really at the end of the day mitch this is almost a combination of an rsp because you get a tax deduction and a tax-free savings account because it grows, you take it out tax-free and there's no repayment. It's like a win-win-win. Exactly. Uh, and like you like you said there, it's a combination of the both and you don't have to pay it back versus RSP home buyers. You do have to pay back. The downside of the our home buyers is always that you did have to pay it back. Uh, the first home buyer savings account, you can also you combine that with a spouse. So if you and your spouse both put in $40,000, which is the maximum amount you can put in, and they both grow to $80,000 per se, um, then you can combine that and you can use 160,000 for a down payment. So creating the affordability, it might be tough for young people to still afford homes with these high interest rates because the mortgage, they're gonna have to qualify at a much higher rate versus when the down payment was so significantly higher the last few years. So they may want to put in a larger down payment than a 20% or they may have to instead of getting a co-signer from bank of mom and dad or grandparents or whoever, whoever they can. So instead of getting that co-signer, they can put down more than 20% by using this first home savings account in versus the RSP home buyers. You could really only put away that $70,000 tops. If you're a couple, you put 35,000 in from each of them. But then you also have to pay that back over 15 years. And, and you got to make mortgage payment at the same time. Yeah, it, it's a combination of both. And it really, if you have to pay that back over 15 years, it could be $1,000, $1,500 a year that you, you're putting back and you don't get the tax deduction again. So you're actually, if you're using the tax-free home buyer's account, you, by putting the money back, you can put it into your RSP and you're getting the deduction again because you never had to use the room in the first place by putting it into the tax-free account. So there's there's so many benefits to this account and I'm pretty excited for this to come out. I think the, the perks of this have really 
made it obvious, especially with how the housing market has been in Canada. And I've had people ask me, should they wait to put it in what, for the first home a savings account, or should they just do the RSP home buyers this year or early next year? And we, we don't know what it's going to come out. I would suggest just doing the home buyers now. Uh, you can also roll it into the first home savings account later. So there's no downside to putting it into the uh, RSP home buyers in the meantime until that next account does come out. And do we have a, do we know when that is? Is it next year? Is there a date set for this? They said sometime in 2023 and hopefully it's early in 2023 because it's a, it's a great account and uh, people who are putting away monthly could really capitalize on this by, uh, by putting away monthly and just growing that as much as possible. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. You know, we often see those commercials on TV, Don, about... uh, about credit score. And, you know, whenever I've been to a bank, I don't think anybody has ever mentioned the words credit score. Does it mean anything? Who cares about this? You know what the banks certainly do when they want to lend you money, Uh, Mm -hmm. credit card score employers do like there's so much about credit score, but it's like the best kept secret. Like it's kind of funny. I I go online to try to find my personal one. I'll share that story in a second. And I went to a U.S. site. No problem. Get your free credit score. You go to the Canadian site, you got to go through a bunch of hurdles. And I'll I'll discuss that. But first of all, what is credit score? What does it mean? And basically, it's a score that represents the credit risk or the likelihood to pay your bills on time. And so it's great if you are a vendor and you are selling your goods on credit to somebody, and you hope to pay, get it back. If you bought a new car, they want to check your credit history. If you are a tenant, and you're looking for rent, I know people that will check a, a person's credit score. What's the likelihood that they're going to default on their rent? So it's absolutely imperative that it's so important to credit score, but it's one of these like under, like hush, hush, nobody seems to know what they mean and what is it. And I guess if I, if, if nobody asked me, I guess my credit score is decent because nobody's turned me down. Um, but it only seems to come up if it's bad. And you know what? I, I like to be proactive, whether it's health, whether it's credit, whether it's investing, just, you know, and generally speaking, but this is a weird one the, in Canada anyway. So it is kind of, it's in a backdrop that a quagmire of this score that seems to be like a, a club that nobody really knows much about it. And do the banks actually talk about like, is do they go, your score is this, your score? Cause I've never heard them say, here's what your score is, sir. And uh, it should be lower or higher. They don't I don't know I'm sure if you asked you might get it but again yeah. then they might say it's privacy which is really bizarre because it's your own it's your, score it's your <laughs> privacy so it's it's it is kind of funny and there's a lot of horror stories I 
I, uh, there's a great magazine called the Walrus Canadian Magazine, and it had a whole thing on on credit scores and kind of horror stories. And there's a person from Ontario, and unfortunately, the husband passed away. And so she wanted to, uh, you know, sell the house that they were living in and get a new house, which would involve getting a new mortgage. Well, she went to go into through this to apply for a new mortgage first, uh, you know, get a pre-approval. She couldn't get one. Her credit score was basically zero. And they looked into this and said, why is that? You have no credit score, zero. And so, well, why is this? Well, what happened is instead of basically, unfortunately, when the husband passed away, they canceled her history, not his. Very oh, wow. simple. This should be a no problem here. Here's a death certificate. Um, let's change this. Well, that seems not, you know common sense, but it took two years to get the score back. And this lady was... A, extremely meticulous in giving all the information other than driving to Burlington. Um, and I believe it's TransUnion in Burlington that she was a two hour drive. She didn't do that. But other than that, she was doing everything still took two years. And so she couldn't get a new mortgage. So it limited her life by not having this credit score. So basically at the end of the day, they do make errors. There's a lot of transactions that take place. There's still humans involved in sending information. And as soon as there's you know, any kind of humans entering data, there's always gonna be that chance. In fact, in the US, it turns out that one third in the US have false information on their credit report, hmm. one third. So you know what, you're sitting there with three people, one of you three has got wrong information on your credit score in hmm. the US. Now in Ontario, because it seems to be more difficult, they find an error every week. And that's only because people have actually checked. I actually don't even know anybody that checks. So let's say one out of 100 actually check. Well, that means there's way more than one error per week in the credit bureau or in your credit score, whoever's keeping track. My guess is, is that unless you've been turned down or you're having problems, you're probably not going to check. Uh, generally speaking, absolutely. And I, I only checked this week because I, I wanted to talk about this. Yeah, and I want yeah. to say, what is the process of checking my credit score? So let's just backtrack a little bit on, on how this even started. What is, what, what, you know, how did credit score even come into being? And basically England was the birthplace of the credit reporting happened in 1803. And basically kind of interesting tailors who made suits would get together and swap information about customers <laughs> and say, well, that guy, he still owes me money. And they would do this as a kind of an ad hoc kind of way of gathering credit history on different customers. Well, then they, they came up with a, basically a publication about this. And this publication was quite interesting in 1826. It was called, this is the name of the publication, Society of Guardians for Protection of Transmit Against Swindlers, Sharpers, and Other Fraudulent People. <laughs> I so they end up finding they shortened that to Manchester Guardian Society. So it was a secret society back then. Okay. And what a name. I don't even know what a sharper is, actually. Um swindless, swindler, yes. Um, and fraudulent people, but I guess sharper must something in 1826 must meant something. Uh 1841, it came across over the New York Mercantile Agency. And it formed this customers um, basically for people and they would charge a fee and they would create some information credit history for people. And that was really 
quite interesting because they would collect everything. You know, if you're married, what school did you go to? Uh, what church did you go to? How often you went to church? Did you have a problem with alcohol? And there was also a lot of racial profiling at that time. Oh, and yeah. so it was, you know, stuff that they should not have been able to get to. And this is, thankfully, we are not in 1841 now because it was certainly a white man's society or white woman's society and probably a man to be actually hmm. the case. I don't even know if women could get credit back then. So, yes, things have changed. Um, and now uh, in 1937, credit reports started to help police officers find cri uh, criminals using the credit reports and thinking, OK, and they check people based on following the money. That, and, and that today is still being used. Following the money has found many criminals. And Canada is kind of interesting. 1800, in the late 1800s, Hudson Bay moved its fur trade from the barter system to the cash based system. And so then they needed to find out, are these people going to pay me money? And they finally started opening up department stores, which then started their own credit card. So lots of history on a credit report. And then finally, in 1899, Equifax started in Canada. It was the early 1900s, moved to Canada. And TransUnion came in 1968. In Canada, it, it, it moved to Canada or has offices in Canada in 1989. So it's actually quite new. But, you know, depending on in, in Equifax, the average score is 667. It seemed to be different because that would be actually a poor score under the um, TransUnion one. Uh, it's basically a predictive model of behavior. And it creates a ton of information, gathers a lot of ton, weighs this information, and makes a logarithm, if you will, to create a credit score. And it's a constantly moving score. And it goes through your credit history. It, it keeps track. It's like Big Brother keeping track of your payments. And there's many different versions of this. It's quite complicated. It, at, at the end of the day, it seems to be easier to bring your score down than it is to bring your score up. <laughs> okay. Hmm. To, me, to me, it's kind of like a golf game. If you're sitting there and you have a bunch of pars and everything's going good, and then you have just one horrible hole, and it's a quadruple bogey and it blows your whole game. That's kind of like the credit <laughs> score. So if you, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you're a person who lives within their means, pays all their bills on time, pays off their credit cards on time, all of that sort of stuff, are you just to assume your credit score is fine or is good? You should assume it. This is where it's nice to check because there is mistakes being made. And a perfect example, if there's a similar name. So in this one example, uh, Mervyn Smith went to get a credit card. Unfortunately, Marvin Smith um, had a bad credit rating. And his credit rating went on to Mervyn Smith, and <laughs> which messed up his, so he couldn't qualify for a credit card. So he, then he had to go through all the hoops to change the name. And it was kind of fun. Like, again, there is error. So this is why it's important to even just check, because you don't know. It's just nice to know. Um, so there's lots of things that affect your credit score. And like I said, it, it, it changes a lot. Um, at the end of the day, I, I went through it myself. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to try how easy, how hard can it be to find my own credit score? So first thing, I just Google it. And it got me to a U.S. site. And then I realized, okay, it's free. It seems to be pretty easy. And you hear them advertise on, on some of the U.S. stations a lot. You know, get your credit score. So I thought this should be a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, didn't 
turn out quite as easy because I had to go to a Canadian site and then they charge you. Well, they didn't actually tell me how much it would cost. And Equifax said they were going to send me it by mail in seven days. Well, TransUnion said they could do it on the spot. So I'll take the TransUnion one. Um, I don't believe either is, is better or worse. And hey, congratulations. Um, I, I got a decent score. So that was good. And I, can, I do now qualify for the best rates on credit. But it did also kind of tell me, you know, areas I could have done better, which is actually useful. And, and it went through my whole credit history. So first of all, kind of they broke it down, A, B, C, D, and E. And, and A, which is very good, is between 833 and 900. And so basically, I found the lower half of that, that number. I'm thinking, geez, you know, what, what do I have to do to get it up? I thought it should be how, okay. How great do you have to be, Don? I know. I'm thinking uh, I'm, I'm 60 points away from being, you know, perfect. I, and, I hope you're good because I've heard the parents' score can actually affect their kids. So I really hope yours is good. <laughs> uh, yeah, get it up, Dad. Come on. Uh, well, it, it turns out that uh, there's a few things. There was inquiries. I said, what the heck is an inquiry? Well, I guess in 1993, 1997, 1998, 2003, 2012, and 2016, I had credit inquiries. And basically, those were years I, I guess I applied for a credit card. And probably one of the worst things you can do is go to a ball game or whatever, and they're going to offer you a, a, a blanket, <laughs> a tie cap blanket or a Blue Jay uniform or, or what have you, if you get their credit card. Or you go to Hudson Bay, you'll give you 25% off if you get their credit card today. Those are not good for your credit score. And so those all count as inquiries. And they also look at, I, I checked out, I had 12 credit accounts. I said, I do not have 12 credit accounts. Well, it turns out that a whole bunch of them were closed. And, and again, one of those happened to be a Hudson Bay one that I didn't use. One had been closed, uh, it was a US one, but they keep track of everything. And it stays there. like. These are going back 20, 12 years ago, and they still are hurting my score. Again, it's just like that bogey on the golf course. Just because you had it on the second hole, by the 18th, it still counts. So it hurts the score. So anyway, at the end of the day, it was interesting. Um, they also had a, a couple other interesting parts. Is You can qualify for identity insurance, which I didn't even know they existed. So identity theft. And so it, it basically would give you up to $50,000 if somebody stole your identity, which I thought was actually kind of interesting. Uh, travel expenses, $2,000. Legal consultation, $1,000. $2,000 a week for lost wages uh, for up to five weeks. $2,000 a, a week, uh, I'm sorry, $2,000 in total for elder care or child care because you're not able to look after things because you're trying to get your credit back and there's no deductible. So there is some interesting things on this site. It really, it was helpful to go through this. Um, and I said, I went through all my history. Now, the thing is, is after it was done, I said, okay, oh, I, I don't want to pay for this. this. It was nice. It was a great data. I could look <laughs> at it. Um, I don't want to pay. And I didn't know how much it cost. So when it was all said and done, I, I they said, okay, it was easy to sign up. It must be easy to get off this. And I should be able to get off this online. It turns out I had to make a phone call. 
So then I make a phone call and they ask what? what? Yes. You know, 1-800-CALL and you call some, probably no, nobody in Canada and somebody's manning the phones and they were pleasant, but they say, okay, why would you, why do you want to get rid of this? Well, basically I told them, I said, I didn't really actually want to pay for it in the first place, but, and I said, well, they, they build your credit card immediately. And they told me that I had seven days to, to get, you know, it would be free. They said it was going to be counting the following day, which at the end of the day, I literally opened it and closed it within a half an hour. And then they refunded me my $28 and change. So this is where I think we're missing the point, the missing the boat. We should have this number. If it's so important, why isn't this available for Canadians a little bit more accessible without having to go through the hoops that I did? Um, and you certainly shouldn't have to pay for it. It's free information. I mean, it would be like going to Service Ontario. I guess, but I get, I don't know. Um, it's for profit. And I'm, I suppose that if you are a bank and you're looking for somebody's credit number, they have to pay for that number. So they're in the business to make money. So they're accumulating all this. But ways to um, hurt your score. First of all, never go bankrupt. It hurts your score, score by 130, 240 points. Do not have a foreclosure on your house. Pretty common sense, but it's at 125 points. It would go down. Um, don't settle for less than you owe. So you know how you do a debt settlement? Personally, I, I doubt any of us have done this, but you let's say I'm going to pay 60 cents on the dollar to get rid of all my debt. Well, that can drop your credit um, store by up to 125 points. Missing a payment. By the way, you miss a payment, it stays on your record for seven years. Seven years, and that hurts your credit score. Um, having anything collected. So this is where you have something that maybe you have a collections person after you and or they've written it off and some of these aren't even your fault something happened it make sure you clean this up because it can drop your credit score by 100 points um maxing your credit card use up to only 30 percent of your credit limit so if somebody offers you more limit you, you're actually better off to say i'm gonna get my credit card to 100,000 and use a very small part of that limit because if you go over that 30 percent it starts to hurt your credit score which i didn't know and that can hurt your score by 10 to 45 points um, having an inquiry, every time you get a credit card, it reduces your, your score by uh, five points and lasts for two years. In fact, actually having too many cards, if you have over six credit cards, there's an eight times chance, a greater chance for bankruptcy. So they look at all these things. And again, it's interesting data, but at the end of the day, it is important to find your score. It's great to inquire to see if there's any mistakes. And what kind of lingering past do you have? Because it actually is quite interesting that they keep this data for so long. And by the way, it's always nice to play offense. So at least you have this, you know what it shows. And that way, when somebody else is checking your credit history, you know ahead of time what they're looking at. No surprises. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them now at IG Private Wealth Management. Leave a message at 905-972-7420. 
All right. Our next segment is uh, Can Money Buy You Happiness? David Lee Roth of Van, uh, Van Halen once said, money may not be able to buy you happiness, but it will buy you a big enough yacht that you can sail right up next to it. Uh, is that good financial advice? Uh, the Yeah, the yacht part. You know, I guess if you have enough, that's a great thing. But uh, I always like other people's yachts. Personally. Well, you're, well, you're going you're to get that luxury. You're going to get that new luxury tax. But, yeah, now, that's so, right. I mean, the new tax. It, <laughs> yeah, that's again why I'd like other people's yachts. Yeah, exactly. Scott, you can pay the tax. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, well, most uh, most personal finance advice revolves around how to accumulate and manage money, uh, but there's a little little bit of discrepancy on insight on how, when, and what to spend it on. But having a plan to dispose of your dollars throughout your lifetime is as important as saving for them in the first place. To make things more complicated, there are purchases that will increase your joy, and even more that will diminish it. There's actually a study that's put out that if you make over 95,000, that's kind of peak happiness for a lot of people. And if you get too much money, it actually decreases your happiness because you, you don't know what to do with it. <laughs> right. Unless Scott's getting a yacht, then we know we know what to do. <laughs> Sail on Scott's but yacht. Yeah, exactly. So can money buy you happiness? Yes. Yes, it definitely can. But only if you spend it on the right things. Here are a few things that you, you won't regret spending it on. Uh, the first thing is financial security. So unsurprisingly, the best immediate use of money is to reduce your financial stress. Things like saving an emergency fund, putting money away for retirement, and paying down debt are all great ways to use your money. Sounds so boring, though. It's, it's so boring, but I mean, the, the, the ease of your mind, you, you don't have to worry about spending that extra money on your, on your, on your gas for your yacht, apparently. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> because There's nothing better than peace of mind and there's nothing worse than regret when and that's called buyer's remorse when you spend it on something you probably shouldn't have exactly making sure you have a financial planner that is doing full comprehensive plans with you is it's very important having a proper financial plan really creates that inner peace of mind that you're taking care of and you can spend money on things that you really enjoy doing whatever that may be without a proper financial plan you're just guessing how much you can spend and still be still be financially secure in the future when you need to be for retirement uh, health concerns retirement homes any of that so making sure you know how much you can spend now for the peace of mind that you're going to be okay later creates happiness now convenience and comfort is another thing spending on items or services that make your life easier or monk or comfortable is almost always a good way to use your dollars. You can take this step a little further and splurge on luxury products or service if your budget allows. But for the most part, biggest benefit is realized in relieving discomfort rather than ensuring the most incredible experience possible. So one that really came up as one of the most voted ones for this category is actually your cleaning services. So people get kind of crucified a little bit and a little judgment here and there for having uh, cleaning services for their homes, but it really gives you that convenience and comfort that, okay, well, this frees up time. Time is very valuable. You're going to pay for that time. So above, above all else, you're not going to have to clean, which also adds a little stress to your body. And it's going to create more time for the things that you actually have to do. Uh, hobbies and passions. It's no surprise that spending on your hobbies and passions is most likely to deliver the biggest bang for your buck in terms of happiness. But I, ironically, these seem to be the area where we tend to neglect the most. Often it because it's because of lack of time more than a lack of money, especially when if, if you have a good planner and you go through everything you want to accomplish. If you want to 
what you want to do in retirement, but also what you want to do now so that you're putting money away now uh, so that you can do exactly what you want to do during retirement, whatever that may be, because everyone's different. Any purchase that does not fit in any of these categories is likely to leave you with buyer's remorse, as you mentioned above. Uh, the, any purchase that threatens the above is likely to make you downright miserable. So if you're spending too much, you're going to be stressed out all the time that, okay, well, what about later? What about later? But if you're not spending enough on your happiness now, you'll probably regret not spending it when you're older. So it's a little bit no here, though there, but having a good plan, making sure that you're doing both and it's all about balance. Well, Don, you've often said people who are retired and start bringing money out that they should spend it, that they, you know, you've got enough. You should make sure you enjoy your life and such. Do you find you have people who um, uh, have a harder time spending their money and, and feeling guilty about that or people who go over the top and you have to draw back? I totally the first one, Scott, you know what? Most of our clients are ones that were very good savers and they yeah. put money away and they, and they, and it's so hard to turn that top from a savings mode to a spending mode. And it's almost like, okay. And I remember having a conversation with somebody who says, okay, you deserve this. You deserve this golf membership. You deserve mm -hmm. this trip. You deserve whatever it might be because you've done all the steps to enjoy this money and no, no regrets, no guilt, and uh, you're able to do it. You can afford it and et cetera. So again, part of a, a good financial planner is not only the savings part, but also throwing a, a spending plan in place to make sure that they maximize their fun. And mm -hmm. that's really at the end of the day, what money's all about. It's uh, it's fun, 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 right? That's what you're saving for those golden years. And then once you get it, you got to be able to uh, to spend it. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox, Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, uh, we're going to sum all of this stuff up and, and try to get everybody to understand all their own plans and how, well, how does this all come together, Don? Yeah, no, and this is, it really starts with financial literacy. And that's the first step. Now, again, a good financial planner, and, and you know, you mentioned off air, what, you know, what type of clients do we work with? Well, we have some very extremely good financial liter clients, uh, accountants that work with us all the time, people that are, are, say, on that side, they're working with money. And so this is not, but then they still want to have a planner because just because you work with it and understand the rules doesn't mean you're actually doing everything and, and having a good plan. And then of course, investing it properly. And also and getting an objective view of all of this, a second, a second set of eyes. Uh, that's an extremely good point because some, you're often too close to it mm -hmm. and it's a very emotional money. And we have to, and you, we do have to step back to make sound decisions that aren't biased. Um, that can either hurt you or help you. But again, they're often biased. And then again, it's sometimes like there's a husband and wife of two different views or, or two partners. And it's, and it's like, okay, an objective view on this, this is my opinion. 
and that way, no, but there's, it causes less stress because now I, I, they're asking an expert what they should do. So yeah, financial literacy is extremely important. And now it's kind of interesting. The average age of a financial planner in Canada is 56. I'm actually mm. three years above the average age. Wow. And, and yet Mitch off air was talking about millennials are now in their, call it their growth years. And uh, they're making a few bucks now, eh, Mitch? Yeah, uh, millennials are they're, they're all seeking out financial planners now because they're hitting age 40. And for the most part, uh, I've been doing this for almost six years now. And I'm a millennial myself. And a lot of them are do-it-yourselfers. But I know we've mentioned this many times before that everyone has a financial plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> and right, right now, people are getting punched in the face repeatedly in different spots so a lot of millennials are seeking out professional advice as their salaries are growing about 23 percent last just last year so can i can i ask a question that's probably going to end the show in a fight but uh what is the <laughs> difference between planning for a millennial planning for the generation before the millennials or the boomers i mean what's the attitude what's the tone yeah i i you know at the end of the day people want to accomplish goals and they want to, and they all have different goals. And so our job is to say, okay, what is your long-term financial objectives? And they change based on their ages and their priorities change and estate plans start to matter when you get older, but you know, just trying to save money from the government because these millennials are thinking, oh, wow, I was all for whoever is in office I elected, but now my taxes are so high and I didn't really want to pay $30,000 in income tax. So mm. now it's like, how do I avoid doing this? And now they're yeah. starting to see the financial side because their incomes are a lot higher. So their priorities yeah, don't qualify for those perks from the government, right? They're making too much to qualify for those. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, good point. And so they don't, they don't get those. So again, develop that, get, improve your financial literacy one of the probably the best way to do that is is have a financial planner because they're going to give you information that pertains exactly what is relevant to your situation and not just general information that you google and and hoping that you're finding you know information that's valid um, so then you develop a financial plan and again this is extremely as we've talked about specific we we ask a lot of questions there's, we need to know the details. Again, garbage out, garbage in. Oh, sorry, garbage in, garbage out. The, the data that we collect is, is going to be used to create a good financial plan. Um, build up an emergency fund. Now, again, nobody wants, it, it gives you a peace of mind knowing that you're not paycheck to paycheck. Now, emergency fund could be having a, a minimum in your bank account, say $5,000. And it also avoids a lot of the bank fees too. So I always look at that minimum that I, I hate to go under as at least so I don't have to pay the bank $1.25 for every transaction. And so that's, at least don't drop under that. And, and even consolidate bank accounts so that you don't because you're not making any interest anyway. So try to keep above that minimum. You know, use your workplace plan. One of the best spots to start is sit down with your financial planner and think, okay, how does your, your workplace plan work? So if you put in a dollar, you're getting 50 cents guaranteed if they're matching it. That's, we can't do better than that. Um, but again, how do you invest the money? So quite often we're amalgamating your workplace plan with your personal plan. And we're actually helping choose the investments at the workplace plans because it's an overall financial plan. So to us, it's still, it's all about the client making sure we consolidate all the everything 
into one place, all the information so that we can create a very predictable plan and accurate as accurate as we can with the, with the assumptions we use to say, okay, you're gonna be in good shape if you do this. And so that's a good play to start, you know, know your risk tolerance, don't chase past performance. There's so many other little things that you sh should be, but again, it all comes back down to get a good financial planner that you can trust. And Mitch is gonna be big in demand now that being a millennial and all the millennials are right there. So yeah, you're in demand. What's happening with all those commercials and all those brothers that are doing their own thing now? Is that just not, is that not in vogue anymore? Is that what's happening? They're going back to people with different haircuts. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Mitch Fox and Don Fox have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another fantastic show, guys. Thanks so much and have a great week. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Have a good one. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.